The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Get your Bible with you this morning. Would you join me in Mark chapter 1? Mark chapter 1, we'll be looking together verses uh, 29 through 39. 29 through 39. What we're going to see this morning in the texts together is um, a couple of things on, about Jesus' ministry. We're going to see his, his primary purpose for his ministry, and we're also going to see a model of ministry that, that we can follow Mark chapter 1, starting verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. What we have seen so far in the Gospel of Mark is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Mark has highlighted, as we saw last week, that Jesus is a man of authority. That as a man of authority, Jesus has come with a purpose. And that purpose is to free us from the dominion of darkness and to offer to us the forgiveness of sins. This is why Jesus has come. John the Baptist came to prepare a way for him and proclaim that there would be one coming after him of whose sandals he was not worthy to reach down and untie Indeed, Jesus did come and was baptized there by John, and the Father testified of him that he is his Son, that in him he is well pleased. The Holy Spirit descended upon him. From there, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, he's tempted by Satan, yet stands firm and remains without sin. From there, he's walking along the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and he calls four men, four fishermen, to leave their occupations to leave their nets, to leave their father, to leave their employees, to leave their boats, and to follow him. And so Simon and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John, leave and follow Jesus, and they follow him into a synagogue. And in that synagogue, Jesus begins to teach and to preach, and those who are there that day are struck by him and the difference of him and the scribes, and the best way that they can explain the difference is that Jesus is one of authority, that he speaks as a man with authority. And indeed, 
he does speak as a man of authority because he is a man of authority. And he does preach the word of God as a man of authority because he is the word of God. And when he speaks, thus says the Lord. And while the scribes and the Pharisees were dependent on others' interpretations of the scriptures, Jesus is not dependent on what anyone has to say about the word of God. He is the very word of God made flesh in their presence. And he speaks as one with authority. And as the congregation there that day sat um, thunderstruck, dumbfounded in silence, there is a man with a demon. And this demon taking control of this man's vocal cord shrieks out in the middle of the silence and says, Jesus of Nazareth, why are you here? What do you come for? What do you have to do with us? For we know who you are. Have you come to destroy us? You are the Holy One of God. And in that moment, Jesus exercises his authority over the spiritual realm as he commands that demon to leave that man. And the demon has no choice but to obey. Jesus is a man with authority and he is a man that has come for a purpose. And that purpose is to set us free from the dominion of darkness and to bring us in to the kingdom of God. Jesus has come to offer forgiveness of sins. And from the sin of Adam and Eve, from that moment in the garden, from his sin, the curse of sin came. And with the curse of sin comes the kingdom of darkness. When Jesus created everything, he spoke it into existence. And he said of it that it was good. And then he created man and woman in his image and his likeness. And he said of them that they are very good. And there was harmony. And there was perfection. In creation until sin came. And when sin came. Sin brought with it a curse. And that curse brings with it sickness and death. This is what sin has done. This is the curse of sin. The curse of sin is sickness and death. And that's what sin has brought, the kingdom of darkness and with it physical and spiritual death that comes from a physical and spiritual sickness. This is the curse of all mankind. Paul says in Romans 5 verse 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. From the time of Adam and Eve until now, the curse of sin has spread to all men and along with it comes sickness and death. And now here is Jesus in the fullness of time stepping into this earth to bring to an end this kingdom of darkness. To bring to an end the curse of sin. And with it, to bring to an end death. But how could we know that Jesus has the authority? How can we know that Jesus has the power? How can we know that Jesus is able to bring to an end the kingdom of darkness? After all, no one who had come before him was able to do it. 
And so how could those in his midst know, how could we know that this man Jesus is different? His authority is different. His power is different. How could we know that he indeed is able to accomplish this work to bring an end to the curse of sin, which is death? How could we know? Well, we know it and Jesus reveals it through the exercising of his authority. Specifically, his authority over both the spiritual world and spiritual sickness and the physical world and physical sickness. Both are the curse of sin and both are held under the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' healings that we see throughout his ministry serve as a demonstration of his authority and his power to heal in a greater way that is to heal us spiritually. Our greatest need is spiritual healing. That's our greatest need. Now, there are those, indeed all of us, will have a point in our life where we may be in need of physical healing. But even if you are to get a cancer diagnosis, your greatest need is not physical healing. Your greatest need and my greatest need is spiritual healing because we are spiritually dead and separated from God. Physical sickness and physical death is temporary. Spiritual sickness and spiritual death is eternal. Therefore, spiritual healing and spiritual life is our greatest need. And spiritual healing much more difficult to accomplish than physical healing. And so Jesus comes in all authority to bring an end to the kingdom of darkness, to bring an end to the curse of sin, to bring an end to death. And he demonstrates his authority and his power to heal us spiritually by healing these physically. I said from this text, one of the things that we will see is Jesus' primary purpose in his ministry. And what we see from this text is Jesus' primary purpose was never simply physical healing. And there are some, even today, who get caught up in physical healing. And they see physical healing as one of the primary purposes of Jesus' ministry. They will even take an Old Testament scripture that says, By his stripes we are healed. And they will take that and they will apply it to guarantee physical healing. But Jesus' primary purpose is not physical healing. Jesus' primary purpose is spiritual healing. Jesus never guarantees us physical healing. Jesus does guarantee us spiritual healing. And when Jesus heals, 
in his ministry, he does so as a demonstration of his power and authority to heal spiritually. To heal spiritually. And that's what we see in this text. Mark tells us in verse 29 that they have left the synagogue and immediately entered into the house that belongs to Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and with him are James and John. Now, we know this is the case because Simon Peter is Mark's source for this gospel. So Simon Peter's with them, and they're leaving the the synagogue, and they're entering, Mark says, immediately into the house of Simon Peter. Now, this is one of Mark's favorite words, immediately. Conrad told us last service how many times... Mark uses it throughout the, the gospel. And it speaks to the urgency and the, the fast pace of Jesus' ministry. But it's also true that Jesus and his disciples at this point leave the synagogue and they entered immediately into the house of of Simon Peter, and archaeological evidence shows us that this is the case. This is interesting to me. Here's a picture of what is believed to be Simon Peter's house. This is the house. And I'm, I'm pretty confident to say, I feel pretty confident to say that that is the house. That's the ruins. Um, there's a few reasons why we believe that. Archaeological evidence has unearthed some things there that that seem to indicate that to be the case. Um, Jewish tradition holds that this is the case. Um, Jews have occupied this area in Capernaum consistently. And so there's always been a presence of, of Jews there. And this place had always held a significant role there. We see in this story that the whole town of Capernaum comes to this house. Now, if that was you, and you came and were healed here, or you brought your son or your daughter or your mother or your father or your brother or your sister, and you brought them to this place and to this man, and he healed you, don't you think you'd remember the address? And don't you think you'd tell your children's children as you walk down the street, that's the place, that's the house where it happened? You know, Simon... Peter plays an important role in the new church, probably outside of Jesus, the most important role in the the founding of um, the early church. The the Catholic church holds the tradition that um, Peter was the first pope. It was Peter to whom Jesus said, upon you, Peter, I will build my church. And most believe that this is the site of the very first church of Christ. That the church, the early church, gathered together in Peter's house. Archaeological evidence has unearthed graffiti um, in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek of religious significance. And there was and is religious symbols there in, in this home. Because of all of the weight of that evidence, I do think that it's pretty safe to say that that is Peter's house. And this is where Jesus was with Simon Peter. And 
Mark tells us that Jesus left the synagogue and entered immediately into Simon Peter's house. Here's the next picture. This structure closest to the bottom that's lighter in color and sort of rectangular is the place of the synagogue. That's not the synagogue that Jesus was in. Um, the synagogue that Jesus was in was destroyed and it was made of a, of a black material. You can kind of see these other ruins here of the Byzantine era that are darker. That, that was the, the place of the synagogue. And then you see this structure above it that's um, octagonal maybe. And that is modern day a church that's, that's run by the Catholic church that's built over the site of Peter's house. So you go in that church, it has a glass floor, and you can look down into Peter's house. And then you see just above it the Sea of Galilee. And what do you see here? You see Jesus and Peter and Andrew and James and John in the synagogue teaching and leaving and doing what? Immediately entering into the house of Simon Peter. It was, it was right next door. And when they get there, they don't find what they certainly probably expected. In verse 30, Mark tells us that Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. So these men would have come from the synagogue and they would come to their home normally around 12 o'clock noon and they would have expected the Sabbath day meal. This is the Sabbath day. Sabbath day started at 6 p.m. on Friday, ran to about 6 p.m. on Saturday with um, teaching taking place through, through the day um, on the Sabbath day, beginning Saturday morning, breaking for lunch, and then continuing Saturday evening. And so Jesus would have taught in the synagogue on Saturday morning and then left the synagogue around noon to go to Simon Peter's house for the Sabbath meal. But that is not what they found there. Instead, what they found was Simon Peter's mother-in-law laying ill with a fever. Now, this account is also in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Luke, being a physician, tells us a little more about Simon Peter's mother and what Jesus did. And Luke writes, And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. With a high fever. Luke's a physician. It would have mattered to him how high is this fever. We don't know how high this fever is. There's no reason to think that Simon Peter's mother was... Um, dead or close to death or had the coronavirus or anything like that. She had a high fever and she was in bed. I understand this. If I get a fever of 99.2, I'm a sissy and I don't want to get out of the bed. She has a high fever and she is ill in the bed. And they appealed to Jesus on her behalf, Luke says. And Jesus comes stands over her, rebukes the fever, and, 
and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. So you get the imagery here of Mark saying that he lifted her up, took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And Luke saying, Jesus came, stood over her, rebuked the fever, and she got up. The imagery here, the picture is that Jesus leaves the synagogue after teaching, comes to Simon Peter's house. Simon Peter's mother is ill in the bed. Jesus goes to her, leans over her, rebukes this fever exercising authority over physical illness and then graciously and compassionately reaches down, grabbing her by the hand, probably one hand behind her back, lifts her up out of the bed, and as he does, the fever is gone. And what we see in this, Jesus' first recorded healing is a pattern that is used over and over and over again by Jesus throughout his ministry as recorded to us in his Gospels. We certainly will see it next week. You see, Jesus could have healed her any way that he chose. They could have come to him and said, Jesus, Simon's mother-in-law is sick. Would you please help her? And Jesus could have said, fine, she's helped. Go get her and let's eat. And she would have been helped. Jesus did not have to come to her. Jesus did not have to touch her. Jesus did not have to lift her out of the bed. But this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the compassionate Savior. And he is willing and he is able to reach down and to touch. That is what his incarnation is. The king of heaven, the glory of heaven, the eternal one, Jesus has come clothed in flesh to reach down and to touch us. To touch us. Church, what we learn is that when we come to Jesus, we come to him and we find a compassionate savior. And we don't have to buy into the lie of the evil one that says that we're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not strong enough. We're not holy enough. That we've done too much bad. That we're too dirty. That we're too sinful. That Jesus would never touch us. Jesus is the compassionate Savior. That's who he is. And he reaches down and he touches And he heals. And what does Mark tell us that Peter's mother-in-law does? Mark tells us that Peter's mother-in-law then gets up and serves him. What that probably means is that she got up and she made the meal. And she served Jesus and she served Jesus' disciples. And what we see here is that this is what happens when you encounter Jesus and he changes you. When Jesus comes and he changes you, when he heals you, when he brings spiritual life to you, you are then motivated to serve him. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was able to serve him because he was there, right? But how can we serve him? 
If he's not here, we can't fix him a meal. We can't serve him. Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, starting in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. We serve Jesus by serving God. Others, And when the compassionate Savior reaches down and heals us spiritually, that's the greater healing. When the compassionate Savior reaches down and heals us spiritually, then we are moved by His compassion to be compassionate to others and to serve Him by serving them. That's what happened in Simon Peter's mother-in-law's life and that's what should happen in our life. Well, Jesus' healings continue in verse 32. Mark says that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and all who were oppressed by demons. Mark tells us that the whole city was gathered together at the door. Mark makes it specific to say that evening at sundown, because that evening at sundown, this would have been Sabbath day Saturday, at sundown the Sabbath is over. The Sabbath goes from 6 o'clock Friday or sundown Friday to 6 o'clock Saturday or sundown Saturday. When you see the stars in the sky, the Sabbath is over. And the Jewish people were held captive in a religion that had been hijacked by the evil one and had been twisted into a false religion. And they were held hostage by rules after rules after rules, regulation after regulation after regulation. They had taken what God had intended for good and they had twisted it and they had made all sorts of rules and regulations that had to be followed on the Sabbath day. And one of those is that you could not carry anything. And so Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother at about noon... And then at about 6 o'clock, once the Sabbath is over and word has spread that this man can cast out demons and he can heal physical ailments, the Sabbath is over and now the city can begin to carry those who are in need of healing. And so that's what they do. They carry and they come to Simon Peter's house to be healed by Jesus. Verse 34, and he healed many That is not to say that some who came were not healed. Luke tells us in Luke 4 that they were all healed. Mark says many because his emphasis is on the number of people that came. That there was a great number of people who came to Jesus for healing on this evening. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases... And he cast out demons. 
and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, why would Jesus do that? Because demons were not part of his evangelistic plan. He didn't need a demon testifying about him. He needed his disciples testifying about him, and he was authoritative enough to testify of himself. It is probably the case that hundreds of people were healed by Jesus on this evening. Remember, there were estimates of up to 10,000 people living in Capernaum. And on this night, hundreds of people came. And they were healed by Jesus. And this was just one night in the ministry, in the three-year ministry of Jesus. This is just one occasion in the some 90 occasions in the Gospels of Jesus' healing ministry. This is just one. John MacArthur said, so it must be true, that, um, that was a joke. Um, Not everything John MacArthur says is true, but John MacArthur says that during Jesus' ministry, that sickness in Israel was almost totally vanquished because of sealing ministry. Jesus certainly came to heal. And he healed physically. And all of these instances of healings, of physical healings of Jesus were to show us some important things about Jesus and what he came to do. All of these instances of physical healings were opportunities, were illustrations, were demonstrations of what Jesus came to do. It wasn't just that he came to heal physically, but that he came to do more than that. Mark or Matthew tells us this in, in his gospel record of, of this event in Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 14, Matthew says, And when Jesus had entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And then Matthew says this. This was to fulfill what he what was spoken by the prophet of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, He took our illnesses and he bore our disease. You see, Matthew says, Jesus is doing this physical healing ministry pointing to something greater, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy that there would be one who would come. And when he comes, he is going to take our illness and he is going to bear our disease. Now, how is Jesus doing this? How in in this record of Jesus healing these in Capernaum. How is this fulfillment? How is Jesus in this moment taking our illness and bearing our disease? Well, I'll I'll give you three ways I believe that this is being fulfilled. The first is, is that Jesus came and he bore the weight of human suffering by sympathizing with those who were suffering. I can only imagine 
the weight of the ministry of Jesus in this night. And this is but one night. I mean, can you imagine just hundreds and hundreds of people, one after another, sick with various diseases, demon possession, coming, needing help. And Jesus is the compassionate, loving Savior. And he bears the weight of human suffering. As he does his ministry, as he goes about his ministry, these are the people that he's encountering with. He's encountering those who are suffering. And in his encountering with them, he is sympathizing with them. And he's bearing the weight of their suffering. This is the beginning of his ministry. And this will continue until the end of its ministry when it reaches its full capacity. And there on the cross, Jesus bears the full weight of human suffering. And now, because he has suffered in every way we have suffered, the scriptures tell us he is able to empathize, he is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Because he has himself took on our illness and he has bore our diseases. The second way is that Jesus was certainly grieved over the destructive power of sin. Imagine for a second that you are the king of kings the Holy One, the Promised One, the Son of God, the, the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. Imagine you being the one who spoke the world into existence and then looked at it and said, man, this is good, and then creates man and woman in His image and likeness and then looks at them and says, this is very good, only to see all that you have created that was good fall under the curse of sin. And now here is Jesus, clothed in flesh, being brought into and seeing the destructive power of sin. And Jesus is certainly grieved over it. We see this at the tomb of Lazarus, where Jesus is weeping. He's not weeping because his friend's dead. He knows he's about to be alive. He's weeping because of the destructive power of sin that's brought death. Because the curse brings death. And Jesus is grieved over it. We see it as Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem. How he desires to gather them under his wings. But yet the destructive power of sin is over all creation. He was certainly grieved. Grieved all the way to the cross. Where he sweats blood. And then thirdly, Jesus carried away the curse of sin on the cross. And in doing so, he secured for us an eternity free of illness, disease, sickness, and death. When the prophet Isaiah says that he took our illnesses and he bore our diseases, what the prophet Isaiah is speaking of there is spiritual sickness and spiritual diseases. And that Jesus would demonstrate his power and authority over spiritual sickness and spiritual disease by healing physical sickness and spiritual disease. But never... Was physical healing the primary point of Jesus' ministry? 
Never. Physical healing was a demonstration of Jesus' primary focus and point of ministry. And I'm laboring that point because we have to understand it. Because there are many today who preach that coming to faith in Jesus means that you can be physically healed. And that by his stripes you are healed. And if you have enough faith, you can be healed. Guess what happens to every person? Death. Because that's the curse of sin. And that is not to say that God does not still heal today. He certainly can and he certainly does. But it is to say, A, that there is no one, no physical person on this earth to whom you can go and receive healing 100% of the time. That person doesn't exist. And all of the charlatans that are fooling people out of their money for physical healings do not possess that power. And their healings do not line up with Jesus' healings. Because guess what Peter's mom did? She got up well and started serving. There's not any of this, give me a thousand dollars and sow your seed and come to me. And in four days, if you have enough faith, you'll gradually get better. Negative. It was immediate. And it was clear. Because it was a demonstration of power and authority. Over Jesus' ability to heal spiritually. Verse 35, And rising early, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. I can imagine the, the weight and the stress of that many people coming to you, seeking healing from you. The level of exhaustion that Jesus must have felt after a day of preaching in the synagogue and healing all night long. It's exhausting. And yet what does Jesus do? He rises very early while it was still dark and he goes out to a desolate place and he prays. And here's what we learn, church. If Jesus, who is God, needs time away to pray to God, I promise you that we do. We need it. This models the necessity of prayer in our lives. Verse 36, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. All right. What did Jesus just say? Jesus just said, clearly, this is the primary purpose of my ministry. And what was it? Was it to heal? Was it to bring physical healing? No. What was it? To preach. Let us leave from here and let us move on so that I can go to these other towns and I can preach. For that's why I came. And what is, what's Jesus preaching? He's preaching the gospel. That he is the one who has come to take on the curse of sin. To become the curse of sin. And to offer to the people of God the forgiveness that they so desperately needed. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus is preaching. 
What's the primary purpose of Jesus' ministry? The primary purpose of Jesus' ministry was spiritual healing. And it comes through preaching. It comes by hearing and believing and experiencing spiritual healing and life and justification by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is his primary ministry, spiritual healing. And as we leave from this very first recorded case of physical healing and we run through them over and over and over again, we must remember that physical healing is never the primary point. That spiritual healing is. And so Jesus went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So what did I say that we see in this text? The first thing we see is Jesus' primary point of his ministry. Spiritual healing. The proclamation of the gospel and the grace and the forgiveness and the new life that comes from trusting it. And that is what we need more than anything. We need that far more than physical healing, regardless of our ailments. The same was true then and the same is true today. If you've never experienced and received the new life and the spiritual healing that Jesus offers, he is the compassionate Savior. And if you come to him, he will heal you. And he will take away the curse of sin and he will release you from the bondage of the kingdom of darkness. And he will bring you into the kingdom and the family of God. But what, the other thing we see in this text is a model of Jesus' ministry for our lives. And what was that model? It was to empty ourselves out, to get ourselves full, and to go out and preach. That's what Jesus did, right? He empties himself out in ministry. He empties himself out in the teaching the word of God in the synagogue. He empties himself out in the healing ministry there in Simon Peter's house. He serves those who need serving. He's not emptying himself out and that he's emptying out his divinity. He was always divine or emptying out the Holy Spirit. He's always full of the Holy Spirit. But certainly, emotionally and physically, he's a man just as I'm a man. And this is laborious work. And he empties himself out. But then he goes to God to find himself full. And he goes in the early hours and he gets alone with God and he prays to receive strength and power once again so that he could do what? So that he could go out and proclaim. This is, this should be the model of our lives. That we empty ourselves out in service to one another. And then we come to God in prayer to get ourselves full. So that we can be sent out again 
to proclaim the gospel. This is what God has called us to. He's called us to be committed to what Jesus was committed to. What was Jesus committed to? Jesus was committed to the preaching of the gospel. Jesus was committed to bringing spiritual healing to those who were under the curse of sin. Physical healing is great, but physical healing is temporary. Spiritual healing is greater because it's eternal. It's eternal. This is what God has called us to be committed to. This is what God has called us to. Emptying ourselves out in service. Filling ourselves up in prayer. Going out to proclaim the gospel to those who need spiritual healing. May we, as followers of Jesus, follow Jesus' example. Let's pray together. God, the the curse of sin is all too evident around us. Certainly is filling the news today as sickness and death captivate the headlines and fill most of our conversations. And God, may we in this season stand and boldly Proclaim that what we are witnessing and what has been witnessed since the fall is the curse of sin. But Jesus, you became the curse. You became the sin. On the cross, the curse of sin, the power of sin, the shame of sin was defeated. The kingdom of darkness has lost. The kingdom of God has won. By your stripes, we certainly are healed. And you certainly took away our illnesses. And you bore our diseases on the cross. And you offer now, by faith in you, spiritual healing that leads to eternal life free of all disease, of all illness, of all pain, and all suffering. And Jesus, we honor you and we praise you for it. And would you help us as your children be committed to what you were committed to, the proclamation of the gospel. And may we, as we are touched by a compassionate Savior, be moved to compassionate service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.